You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode three of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, and with me, my good buddy David, up, we're going to talk some disc golf. This week, we are going to be reviewing the Axiom Crave. We're going to talk about, hey, how do you handle when your round starts off poorly? And we're going to get a pro tip from a world champion and three-time major champion. But first, David, as always, got to ask, what are you sipping on and how was your week? I'm sipping on a Columbia, I think it's called The Grind. It's Vanessa Van Dyken's special brew from Birdie Fuel. That's right. Um, man, it's as classic of a cup as it comes. It's maybe roasted a little bit darker than I usually like. I'm usually a light roast fanatic. Um, this kind of sits in the medium range, but man, I'm getting kind of that nutty cocoa taste. What you kind of, I mean, really what got you into coffee to begin with. Um, it doesn't really have the bitterness going on. It's nice and smooth. Um, I think this is a cup that if you had it, Thanksgiving, Christmas with the family, you'd be perfectly content and enjoying a cup with the family. It's going to please everybody, offend nobody for the most part. Yeah, it's smooth and approachable. I feel like somebody who likes a darker roast won't be offended by it. And somebody who likes a lighter roast is still going to be able to enjoy it. It's just that classic cup. I think sometimes when you have a very easy to drink coffee, you can sometimes... I don't know. You don't get as much from it the first time drinking it, but I feel like this is a coffee you could have every morning and not be bothered by it. Where I feel like some, for me, to me, some really light roasts, I almost feel like it's more fun as an experience than it is as like a day to day habit. I'm right with you there on that. Uh, a lot of the, I mean, within the industry right now, a lot of uh, the more popular ones are the more wild cups, and it we often begin to neglect the more classic cups that. I mean, really what got us into coffee to begin with. Yeah, that Guji the last couple of weeks is kind of the direct opposite of this. Like, just kind of wild and fun, and it makes you pay attention, but maybe not something I would have every morning. Well, that one's really good, so I might be tempted, but this cup is, <laughs> is delicious. And and big thanks to Vanessa and Birdie Fuel. We actually have a, another bag of this coming. I didn't quite realize this, but Vanessa was kind enough, unprompted. You know, she sent the pro tip, and then she mailed us two bags of coffee and then birdie fuel sending us three uh so we're gonna have a lot of coffees to check out so big thanks to vanessa and birdie fuel you can find uh the grind as well as a bunch of other coffees at birdiefuelcoffee.com anyway david how was your disc golf week um i gotta play a lot of disc golf this week so it was pretty great and on top of that my arm is feeling fantastic i think i threw every single day and still today surprisingly i think uh, the adjustments i made to my form the prior week with my backhand is leaving me pain free which I, I think that's like the the thing that i'm most stoked about right now is that cuz i would love to be able to play every day pain free that sounds pretty fantastic but let's see we started off playing on saturday we got a big group out on saturday i think there's like 8 of us out there yeah we played uh palace state again which is kind of our a little bit further away 20 minutes from us which is not bad at all yeah, it was a it was a fun round, but a hard round. I think the <laughs> the previous uh, we played Palisade two weeks ago, and I had I think my best round I ever had, and then this was probably one of my worst rounds I've had in the the past year at least. 
Um, I ended up going, I think, plus seven. I, OB did, killed. Did you really? OB, I didn't know it got that bad. You were fine OB, the front nine, right? I had a birdie putt on hole one, and it turned into a bogey because I had that crazy roll away off the basket. So that was kind of the start of my round, frustrating. And I, I felt like I was able to walk away from it and just laugh at it. But <laughs> definitely kind of the, I think I was e- around even or plus one by the end of nine. So I was, it hadn't gotten bad yet. But I'm um, missing Mandos at the end and then going OB, losing one of my favorite discs into the water. Um, so it ended up being a little bit of a rough round. And I think my, my putting was okay, but it was not exactly where I wanted it. And part of that was due to the wind, but it was fun to learn, pick up on some adjustments too in the wind. I feel like Palisade is one where the first nine holes really favor the forehand. And then, you know, the back nine or back 10, it's a 19 hole course. You know, it's, it's kind of 50 50, but there's a lot of, you have to, a few placement shots you have to hit backhand. And then a few that are just would be a little bit awkward to throw forehand, including the one you threw it into the river. It's probably a better forehand line, but if you soft it, you're going to lose a disc. Yeah, there's definitely some, I mean, you have to commit to going backhand on, there's at least four holes on the back uh, nine that you, it's a backhanded shot. There's and you're working on your backhand form. So to me, it makes sense that you would, yeah. you know, give up some strokes. That's just part but of it. There's one, one hole that's frustrating to me right now. Cause I don't, and I'm curious now that I feel like I have a little bit more, we talked about on the second cup, one of the adjustments I made with my hand grip, that's given me a little bit better control. I'm curious with that adjustment, there's one particular hole that it's a really early gap that you have to hit and it's fairly narrow. Um, If you get it through, it's pretty open all the way down. You just have to keep it right. Um, My typical play is take my zone, pitch it through the gap and then pitch my zone up to the pin. It's about a 360, 370 foot hole. I think, yeah, I think in its current position, it's over 400 though because it's in the deep, deep position. If you're talking about what is it, 13 or 14, 13? Yep. And so that's my current play. And obviously that it's, it gives me a good chance at a par, but I mean, that's a risk. I mean, taking your upshot being 200 to 250 feet, um, that there's definitely the chance of not being exactly where you want for a putt, just a tap in. Um, if I, so I, I'm curious being able to go back and uh, see if I can actually commit to going for the gap. I think, also, I, one one of my weaknesses is not having more understable discs in my bag because I rely on overstable discs so much. Well, to be fair, you know, most of our courses, if you have a flat to hyzer backhand and a flat to hyzer forehand that are solid, it's very rare that you're going to need the disc to do more than one of those things so i do think that and we have a lot of wind so i think it does make sense that most of your discs are straight to overstable uh just naturally based on the courses we play for the most part yeah so i'm curious about i mean that's one hole in particular i've been thinking about um but uh well that hole in particular i think the one thing about it is is that it slopes right to left and left is ob in a kind of a ditch creek so my theory on that one, I threw a buzz on it because I can't reach it right now very easily. And I think that if you soft a backhand driver, you're going to go OB unless you catch a lucky stump or tree or something like that. So I don't know. I'd, I'd be, I'd love to try on a second shot to get like something that's got some turn to go over. It's got OB left and right, but to go over the sidewalk OB right and then fade towards the basket. 
But I think in a tournament, I'm probably going to throw a buzz. I don't know that that would change my play that much, even if I could reach it. Yeah, for sure. But uh, apart from Palisade, because I'm trying to get that out of my memory, um, I got to play Watson, I think, four times this week. Yeah, I'm not, I played I'm not Mo- jealous at all. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And uh, I kind of averaged around negative seven around there. I think my best score was around negative 10, negative 11. My lowest score was negative five. Um, and there was variations of wind. I think my negative five score was a little windy that day. Um, I, I feel like I got a little practice in the wind this week because there was a couple of rounds that it was around 15 miles an hour with, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of gusts, but it, it may be maxed out every once in a while at 20 miles an hour. Um, and for the first time, so normally when I'm playing in the wind in a tournament, I, my initial instinct is to just grab my uh, most overstable disc, throw it as hard as I can into the headwind, whatever it might be, and just hope for the best. I, I previously in years past have not put a whole lot of thought into it other than I know overstable would give me the best chance. But this is one of the first times that I actually slowed myself down because I was playing by myself and sitting, throwing some little grass up and watching where the wind's going and adjusting whether it's a, a better forehanded shot, or a better backhanded shot of how it's going to handle the wind. And I felt like those little adjustments made a significant impact for me. And I think part of that's mental, but then also part of that is, I mean, how, I mean, basic physics. <laughs> um, and learning that side of the game, I think, is something that is hard because when you're out there playing with your friends, you just want to get up there and throw and have fun and not think about what you're doing. Um, I think it is easier to do that when you're by yourself. Um, I hope that when that translates to a round that I can slow myself down and think about um, what the wind is doing and how I can adjust and whatnot. Even I I think I told you I made a jump putt from like 66 feet or something, somewhere in the 60 foot range uh, in the wind. I read the wind and just let the wind kind of carry it into the basket. And I was so stoked about that. Yeah, that, that does make you feel good for sure. So it, when you can actually think about what the disc is going to do and then it does what it's, it was exciting for me. Just to go back to what you were saying about, you know, a wind read or even like just taking the time. I think the one thing that really hurt me Palisade was the very first hole we played through a group that was rounding, uh, the corner, uh, that had like 27 people and then we had a bigger group than usual with like seven or eight and i think that to me uh, that first throw uh, it's an easy shot it should be you have to get give it the disc enough height you get a clear like 250 feet of water or something and then the basket's open so it should be a birdie putt you know at three what is it like 330 something like that i think it's like 320 yeah somewhere around there it's for what we can throw, it's reasonable. And the the um, rec tee pad is, once again, like you should be able to get that if you're a rec player. I think it's probably like a 200-foot throw or 150-foot throw, something like that. Anyway, I threw it low. I was throwing too hard, and I tried too hard. That's probably the, the long and short of it. And then I had this weird upshot from the bank of the pond and then gave myself a 20-foot putt and missed it. And... We'll talk about it later because I think it just brought up this topic to me of like, how do you handle when your round starts off terribly? I think hole two, I had a birdie putt on a pretty tough forehand line that I was pretty happy about having a putt, but I, I shorted it. And then, uh, you know, you just start out thinking like, oh, I should have really birdied one. And then I had an opportunity to birdie two. And 
and I'm one over. And I think that between that and then kind of rushing because you're in a big group, I feel like I uh, threw off my round a bit. And it, there's no reason when you have that many players that you can't take your time. You just have to do it a little differently. But I, I feel like I, I won, didn't have as much fun as I should have had because I was annoyed at myself. And two, I didn't play as well as I should have had because I was thinking about the round a bit. Um, and then we've been talking about the last two weeks, how I, the last few rounds um, that David and I have played together, I've played better than I scored or seemingly. And my round at Watson this week was exactly that. I scored even and, and it's in a super easy layout. I feel like five down with no wind is like for us is like, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, it's not great. Um, and even but it was like the funnest dumbest even par round at watson in easy positions i've ever played i had like so many putts especially circle two putts that were all over the basket but just didn't stay i had an eight foot putt that spit back i missed the mando on one of the easiest holes on hole three by like a foot i was telling david over text like i think i was 10 total feet away from being 10 down it was just one of those rounds where i was like hey you know what I, I had fun, even though this was stupid. But I feel really good about where my backhand is at. I'm starting to put less effort into the throw and getting similar or better results than um, when I throw too hard. And I'm starting to get consistent height at release um, or trajectory. And I think that's pretty encouraging. That's awesome. I think both you and I are kind of in scramble mode this month to kind of get our form in check. So then, oh wait, Josiah and I signed up for first tournament in March. Is it middle of March? I think it's, be- yeah, beginning, it's middle, beginning middle, somewhere in there. I think because by the time March 1st hits, we don't want to be thinking about form or anything. We just want to be in cruise mode, being able to get ourselves ready for the tournament. Because I think uh, you don't. that's one thing that you don't want to be thinking about during tournament season is making adjustments to your form because that's when you fall apart. Yeah, well, that's definitely been my life for sure. And, uh, you know, to be able to throw with a little less effort or at least better mechanics probably will prevent injuries, which I think is also ideal when you're heading into tournament tournament season. I think we'll head straight into the how did you do that pro tip. World champion, three-time major champion, Sarah Hocum was so kind to reply back to me. And I asked her, Sarah, what's one thing you wish you would have known when you were first building your game? And she said, I wish I had known to limit the number of molds I was throwing and learn to manipulate the angles and power rather than switching to a different mold to produce different shots. And I feel like this is kind of an interesting one for me because I feel like there's kind of two camps that has have arisen in disc golf. The the camp of the Philo Brathaway, I think he carries like five molds. It's like AVRs, rocks, firebirds, destroyers, T-birds, so maybe that's six, I don't know. Uh, and then you have other p- folks that are like, hey, I have, you know, maybe I'm going to carry 15 molds. Um, but I feel like, you know, the specific, hey, early on limiting the molds makes a ton of sense. And I think that I have done a disservice to myself in my game um, by having a few too many molds in my bag when I'm practicing. And I think going back to last week where we were talking about throwing putters and mids, I think that's one thing that, you know, I don't, I don't throw many Anheuser's. But when I had a lot of putter in mid rounds, I was kind of forced to because I didn't have a good uh, forehand disc for distance um, because I was throwing neutral putters and mids and don't have that good of a forehand, especially in the wind. And so I was having to learn to throw more Anheusers. And I feel like it was, it's something I'm adding to my game is this like baby Anheuser where 
when you're learning, you're often taught like, hey, try to throw hyzer flips and hyzer and because that's you know a powerful angle and it's natural and I think that's good. But I do think sometimes if you take that to the extreme and that's the only angle you throw and you force the the shot by disc selection, you sometimes if you just threw an Anheuser, our buddy Micah has the most beautiful baby Anheuser you'll ever see in an amateur. And uh, just watching him throw, I'm like, this is so, he's making it so easy on this hole. Um, and so anyway, enough about Anheuser's, but just generally, what do you think about that tip, David? Uh, I like it in the sense that, I mean, I kind of relate it to relationships because as we're getting to know our discs, you want to know what they do and how they work. If you're throwing if you're grabbing 12 discs to start off with and trying to learn them all, it's going to take you a long time to just to get to know what they're doing. Just in the same sense of you think about your community. If you have 20 friends versus four friends, if you have four friends, you're going to get to know them pretty well week in and week out. If you have 20 friends, it's going to be pretty dang hard to get to know them well. And I, so I kind of related to that in the sense of I want to know my disc really well. Um, and I think, uh, one of the things earlier on and one of the things I think I'm beginning to learn right now because I feel like I'm going a lot back to the basics, especially with backhand, is uh, being okay with having one of those understable discs that I'm bagging that I am um, going to and learning what I can do with it. Because I think understable discs, you can do a lot of different things with them that uh, I because of being so obsessed with overstable early on, um, I feel like it limited my growth early on. Um, but I do feel like when it comes to having just very few molds in your bag, I mean, I have three different Firebirds, five different race. I definitely am within. Um, yeah, you you naturally are a mold minimalist. And, you know, if you lose a Firebird, you're not like, hey, I'm going to go pick up a Raptor and see what that that's about. You're like, how can I find that disc again and how can I beat it up to get it to where I want it to be again? Exactly. And I think that just comes to that, just that feeling of knowing your disc and what you can do with it. And I think, I mean, it, it, that might limit my growth as far as a player at times, but I think it, um, it gives me a level of consistency as well. I, I think about this all the time cause I love trying new discs and you know, part of the reason to have disc reviews is so I can just selfishly throw new discs but I think one thing I really admire about David, your game is just you play within yourself and you're extremely consistent and you're consistent about your disc selection. You keep things simple. And I think that is one of the reasons why you have much, generally you have much higher floors in tournaments um, than, than some because you know you play within yourself. For sure. I think that's something I kind of took from, I grew up playing baseball that we talked about in the first podcast. Uh, one thing that my hitting coach would really hammer home is knowing who you are um, and sticking within yourself. Because um, I think if you know who you are and you stick within yourself, then I think of I think it was I think it was Kyle Klein's um, dad that told him going into the tournament for when he won the uh, Amateur World Cup. Um, is it called World Cup Amateur National World Championship. Championship National Championships? There we go. Um, don't throw a hard shot um, or stay away from throwing um, hard shots or keep your shots easy. I forgot what it was. Um, but basically sticking to what you know. That was so. such a good quote. You <laughs> nailed it. I know. Sticking At the bottom line, sticking to what you know. And I think if uh, you can simplify your game and understand your game, which I think Sarah Hokum's quote kind of brings it down to, is understanding what you have and what, 
what you can do with it. Um, just being able to simplify can definitely give you some advantages in playing. I, I totally agree. And I think that that's one place that I sometimes sacrifice my scoring potential and consistency for the fun of trying new discs. And so I want to have some balance between, hey, this disc actually can help me versus I'm just kind of bored and can't help but think about disc golf. And I'm like, hey, if I could just get this slightly less stable buzz mold, so an M4 or something, and then I could throw that from a hyzer. And when we, in reality, most times a disc is not going to really change your game, um, especially once you have kind of a complete bag. But to go with your community metaphor, sim- simile, whatever it is, I think you can I think it's important to have those four close friends and then you know not be totally shut off from like hey this other person wants to be my friend you know maybe you're introverted so you want to keep that circle tight that's totally fine but I do think sometimes trying new disc is a fun it b can kind of reignite some you know passion for the game just cuz it's fun to watch new plastic fly and I think there is some balance between those two extremes. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. And we can get into more of that when we uh, review the Crave uh, that we're going to talk about, because that's definitely a new disc for me. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you thought about it. I, I purposefully didn't let you tell me too much about your thoughts. So uh, we will talk about that. We'll, I wanted to talk to you. You know, We talked about, uh, especially Palisade, how that first bogey, I think, kind of threw off both of our rounds. And I wanted to talk to you a bit about, hey, how do you handle a round that starts poorly? Whether that's a solo round, round with friends, a tournament round. Because I do think that, you know, a lot of rounds start off, if I start off well, I'll shoot well. Like, hey, if I start off, you know, three down through four, two down through four at Watson, like I'll probably shoot pretty well overall just because I'm having a great round. Unless I get in my head because I'm eight down through nine or six down through ten or whatever that is. I'm not normally eight down through nine. That would have been a really sick start. But um, so just wanted to get your thoughts, David, and just kind of talk to you about, hey, what do you do when you have that? And what do you wish you would do? Um, or what do you think is is best um, given a slow start? No, I think that's a great question. And I think that changes depending on if it's just a fun round with friends or if it's a tournament round. I think if it's a fun round with friends, always going into a round, my goal for the round is to get my best score that I have gotten on that course. That typically is my goal going into the round. If I start off poorly, if I bogey hole one, and I I think I might have bogeyed hole two, I can't remember. And both those are very gettable birdies, um, especially for a four-handed shot. When that happens, typically my goal goes from going for my best round to be like, okay, kind of laughing that off and saying, okay, this is a learning round for me. Um, whether I want to practice on some of my back end or whatever it might be, I think I changed my goal for the round. And so I'm not going into the round trying to, I guess I'm, I'm re- resetting myself at hole three, thinking, okay, I'm just, uh, I want to learn something, whether it's focusing on my jump putts this round, if, I'm, if my drives are so terrible, if I'm having to work on my scrambling, whatever it might be. I think I'm just changing my goal. But if it's a tournament play, that's entirely different because I think it's really aggravating and frustrating when you go into a round. You think, okay, I'm on the lead card or I'm on the chase card and it's round two, round three, whatever it might be for the final round. And uh, you start off bogey bogey to start off with. It's easy to get frustrated. And especially 
I mean, that's a whole nother variable with different card mates that you're not used to playing with because you don't want to be the guy in the card that's uh, <laughs> expressing extreme frustration. The sad one. <laughs> the sad one. Um, and so it's balancing those. And I think for me, one thing that I pride myself on, um, especially in tournaments, that you have to have to let go of those moments and know that, okay, that hole is over with. That shot is over with, so there's no reason to think about it anymore. I'm going into this next hole. This next hole is very gettable for a birdie for me. Um, I'm going to um, focus on my drive, and if I get up there and have a chance for birdie, I'm going to, I'm sticking within my game. I'm not trying to. And so I think it's really just being able to, in a tournament, being able to let those moments go. Um, so I'm not necessarily changing my goal. My goal is to get my best round on that uh, course. Um, but uh, definitely reorienting, being able to just let it go. It's really not that big of a deal. Yeah, I think that's really great. I have a confession to make, David. So David and I, when he started getting good, and I was already, you know, really good. So maybe we should say this. When he started getting okay, and I was already okay at disc golf, we started to have an arms race. Our closest course, or our most played course, is Watson Island. And we were kind of an arms race for uh, personal records on the course. So I think I was at something like a five or a six as my personal record. And well, when I was doing this, I was playing by myself most of the time and have my son with me a lot of times. And I was like, hey, I got to beat David's score. I got to get the next personal record. And so I would play like three or four holes. And if I wasn't like under par, I would start over. (laughs) I would be like, no, no, this isn't going to do it. I'd literally start over and just be like, I'm going to try this again. And my poor two-year-old at the time was just being dragged around the stroller. It should finish around at Watson by yourself in like an hour, hour and a half. I'd be out there for like two hours just trying to get that first start so I could beat your lowest score, my most recent lowest score. <laughs> that sounds about right. I actually, so I ended up playing uh, with my brother around yesterday and uh, we got through hole three and I think I was negative one and he he had a rough uh the first three holes, I think he was at plus one or something. And I looked and I was like, are you sure you don't want to start over? I feel like we could start over because I'd, I'd really like to beat Josiah's score today. <laughs> That's so funny. I, he so, didn't let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, my my top four or five best uh, scores did not include a restart, just to be totally fair. but And I think when I went seven down, I started off plus one over the first four holes. And I was like, you know what? I can't. I can't live in a world where I'm hoping to learn how to recover from starting poorly. If my thought is, if it's not good, I'm just going to scrap it and start over. And I think that, you know, that's kind of my mentality now. I recently beat David's 13 down with a 14 down. That was like two months ago, but I just want to, you know, humble brag. It's aggravating because it was December. So technically, I think it was last December that you took the record too. So that's yeah, both last years. Yeah, was my 12 down. Both years, the very end of the year, you take my record. But I scored like in the next week, I also scored an 11 down and a 12 down. And I'm actually most proud of my 11 down because I had a double bogey on like the seventh hole. I was like having a good round then I had a double bogey and then I went like nine straight birdies and it was it's a pretty easy layout so it's I'm not it's not that impressive but it was one of these things where I was like hey this actually to me the 14 down with no uh, bogeys is for me less impressive than hey I got a double bogey on a fairly I mean it's not an easy hole but a, a hole that we should all par and uh so to just to play well through a little bit of adversity i feel like it was encouraging to me 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, we're kind of uh, going back to um, talking about the the round starting poorly. Um, I don't know. I don't. That's one thing in a tournament. I was trying to relate. I've never actually experienced a round starting off super poorly because I think in a tournament, my goal is to go for par. I think I've started off a hole with a bad drive, and that was the very first tournament that okay. we had. Would you like me to tell a story then? Yeah, since you should you've tell never it, experienced yeah, you should it. tell a story since I've never experienced this. Watch now our first tournament in Palisade. I'm going to experience this. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be good for you. You'll still probably, you know, be fine. I played a tournament. It was at the, it was like 400 foot hole. It's got OB left and right with a river right, um, but it's a fairly straightforward hole to par. You just need to throw a straight shot and then um, lay up and make your putt. And I threw this like great, nice straight uh, drive, laid up to eight feet of the basket. And then I literally, because everybody was finishing their putts at the same time, I just flung it and it bounced out. And so I started with a bogey on like the perfect play. Like I, I got my drive inbounds. I had a great up shot. I had an eight footer, like hundred percent shot for me and I missed it. And I told myself like, Hey, get, get out of your head. Um, but I think that it was so hard for me to let that go because it was an easy mistake, um, in something that I should never, you should never miss an eight foot putt. You know, it doesn't matter if you're 90 and you're just figuring out the sport, like anybody can make an eight foot putt. I think my three-year-old will make most of his eight foot putts. So I was so annoyed. And I think I scored like 10 or 12 over that round. And the second round, I think I went like two over. So it was clearly not like, oh, it was just such a hard round or course or whatever. It was just, I think I got in my head. And so I am really working on staying loose and having fun. And also, I think Nate Perkins talks about this sometimes, but not not writing the story of your round in terms of, hey, this is what's going on. And so this is the story of my round. I'm not playing that well, that sort of thing. It's like, no, just focus on the next shot. Like you're talking about, David, that's one thing I'm really working on is, no, it's over, it happened, I've accepted it, and I'm moving on. And then every shot is its own story. And that story is accepted and moved on from whether it's good or bad, whether it's an ace or an early OB or anything like that. And um, I don't mean to monologue, but you were you were caddying for me, Watson, uh, at Colorado State's, and my very first throw on the first round was a forehand smashed into the first available. And it was a terrible throw because you shouldn't hit those early trees. And I was under a tree like 300 feet away. There's OB left and deep of the basket position. And I'm forced to throw this kind of like uh, standstill, low, uh, flexi um, Anheuser forehand in order to give myself a chance at par, which is not my strength. And I gave myself a 20, 25 foot putt and then nailed it. And I feel like that for me, even though that, that whole tournament wasn't incredible, I feel like it was like, Hey, I, I, I'm more proud of that than if I would have parked that very hard hole to begin with, just because it was like, no, I persevered and I, um, I, I let the nerves get to me, but then I didn't let them take the hole or the round. Yeah. I feel like that just helped you reset and like I, you just cruised through the front nine. I think you didn't really make a mistake on that front nine. It was just the back nine. You started to make a couple of mistakes in that round. So we won't we won't mention uh, the double bogey on three then. Jo- Josiah had a chance. He was chasing down the leader on that, and I was excited. And then it was towards the end. I think he had a couple of mistakes that kind of hurt him. But I was gonna go back to so 
in uh, our tournament in Frisco last year, I didn't necessarily start off my round poorly, but my first round was on a card with two guys that were uh, significantly above my level of play of what I would consider my skill level. I tend to, I kind of view myself in the advanced category. Like um, there's the, there's the top echelon in the advanced. And then I'm just beneath the top echelon. I'm kind of in the, I'm not in that top 10. He's a demigod. Yeah. I'm not in that top, I guess, 5%. I might be in the uh, like top, like eight to 15%, somewhere in there. Um, but uh, so there's two guys on my cards. One guy's throwing 450 foot thumbers, and the other guy has uh, oh, probably around 400 foot of power with insane control through. Only with a in Colorado trees. will you end up in a card in advance that someone's throwing 400, 450 foot thumbers. Yeah. But uh, shout out to uh, JC Kester, <laughs> the greatest thumber thrower alive, who's a Valley local. Um, but so I didn't necessarily start off my round poorly. I think through five holes, I was, I think I was sitting negative one or negative two. Um, but these guys had birdied everything and they were just crushing. And so it was kind of disheartening for me feeling like I'm used to being one of the leaders on the card. Um, I felt like I was getting destroyed and I had no chance of catching up because I didn't have the skill set that these guys did. And they also knew the course better than I did. Um, and so definitely it was, I feel like that was the most frustrating tournament for me because I felt like I was just playing catch up and I wasn't really playing my game necessarily because I was so awestruck or, um, caught up in what these guys were doing, um, that it's hard to really focus on my game. So I think that's one talking about starting off around poorly. I'm not necessarily a poor round, but I felt really poor about myself because I couldn't catch up to these guys. Um, and like, that's one thing that I, I need to figure out like what to do when it comes to being on a card with guys that seemingly the skill set is better than mine. I mean, one thing is, and Josiah talked about on the podcast last week is we, and we talked earlier about sticking within your game and knowing yourself. Um, but that was the first time that I encountered that on a card and it's really aggravating for me. And I, I kind of like fell apart. I think I ended up shooting negative one. So it wasn't a terrible round. Um, but I didn't feel good about myself because I think the leader on, he ended up winning the tournament. I think he shot 15 down <laughs> and then the uh, other guy in the card shot 13 or 12 down and sitting negative one. You don't feel good about yourself when you're losing by 13, <laughs> 11 strokes. To be fair though, you had kind of already written the narrative of the tournament when we played our practice round because between being up at like 9,000 feet elevation and the course being a different feel than the courses that you just normally play really well at. I feel like you had already you were you had already lost the tournament before you even stepped onto uh, the first tee pad. No offense, but it just felt that way for sure. And those guys just kind of buried the grave that I had already dug. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's good to get free to get a little humbled occasionally, since you're usually kicking my butt in most tournaments. Yeah, for sure. I think you beat me in that tournament, right? Because that, that second round, that second round, it just got crazy windy and rainy. And I think the last like six, seven holes, it was just dumping rain on us. And so all of us are just throwing to try to get out of there. I, I think I did. I think the the last five holes, I had uh, really torn up my arm. I think I just pulled a muscle or something. Um, I had been throwing a lot of forehands and I don't practice that many. And so I think I beat you, but I think I was playing pretty well uh, up until those last few holes. And then I kind of fell apart just because I couldn't. 
I couldn't throw without a ton of pain. I couldn't really putt without a ton of pain, but I didn't want to drop out. Anyway, that's not really about starting off poorly. That's just about finishing poorly, but there's an injury. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think that's, that's good stuff. And, and I just encourage you, you know, disc golf, as we've talked about, should be fun. And so if you're playing poorly, it doesn't help to just berate yourself and, you know, oh, I should have, uh, you're the worst. Yeah, I'm a piece of trash, whatever. It's like, no, you get to have fun on the next shot. And the next shot, I honestly think scramble shots are super fun. And if so, if you can just tell yourself, oh, I'm in, you know, I ended up in this like terrible lie. It's like, hey, I can throw something cool from this lie or I can lay up and play smart and take my bogey and move on to the next hole knowing I did my best. And so I think part of it is also just readjusting your attitude to what is fun. And uh, what could be fun is you were two over th- through the first two holes and you end up, you know, pulling to par after nine or you were five over through nine and you were able to, you know, maintain that five over and you didn't let it totally ruin your round or your tournament. And this can be with friends as well. Like you should have fun every time you play disc golf. If you're, we, we love working on our games, but if you're so obsessed with your personal record or playing really well that you don't have fun on a pretty day when you're hanging out with your friends, you're doing it wrong. And I'm saying that with some vehemence because I'm telling myself that because I, I didn't have as much fun at Palisade uh, on Saturday as I should have. Yeah, I think practicing for me, practicing laughing at the mistakes. Because I think early on when we were playing disc golf, any especially at the beginning of the round, um, probably a year and a half ago, I would, dude, I would get so frustrated and almost throw tantrums out there on the course. And you would leave after nine holes sometimes if you lost a couple discs or something. Yeah, get to the point where your friends, it's no fun for your friends because they feel (laughs) like they can't interact with you. I think realizing how I was impacting my community uh, based off my behavior, because and how prideful is that? Expecting myself to be so good that when I make a mistake, I'm aggravated. I'm a I'm an amateur. Like even pros make mistakes, and why am I so obsessed with that? And so I think for me, learning to laugh when making a mistake really it's not that big of a deal. Or you get a spit out from the basket, just laughing like, of course, like that's just it's funny. That's part of the game. And I think just being able to laugh in those moments and appreciate it for what it is makes it kind of re- makes you realize it's really not that big of a deal. And it also lightens the mood for your friends. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like the round I played at Watson earlier that we talked about, I had the most fun I've had playing poorly. And that in and of itself, I felt like that's good for my game. Because if you can do that and you don't carry this, you know, pressure or burden of, of playing poorly you're going to play better either that round or the next round or the next tournament um and when you start writing that story of i'm playing poorly my form is trash i can't putt you aren't going to play better because of that that's not going to help you you know the, the, what's going to help you is to say oh that was dumb and now it's over and i already got that bad shot out of the way i got that bad putt of, out of the way i'm a good putter i'm going to make the next one for sure i think it's also more approachable for your friends or community that might be just getting into disc golf. Cause I think if you're complaining about, um, just a slight miss or missing the basket and then, uh, a friend is taking five shots to get into the basket, I think it's kind of in, just insulting to, it is, it uh, is really annoying. It's just rude and annoying. Um, and so I think just being able to laugh it off just improves the fun for everybody is it's again, it's really just about having fun and being able to laugh. It's, you can take that into life as well. And that's the beautiful thing about sports is it, it's a direct translation and application to your daily life. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, should we get into the disc review? Let's do it. All right. So for our, what was that disc review? We have the Axiom Crave, which is a 6.5 speed. You heard that right. 
half a speed, 6.5 speed, five glide, negative one turn, and one fade fairway driver. And David, I'm super curious. What do you think of the Crave? Let's see. I think you described this to me as a slightly faster buzz, and I would agree on that. Um, the grit feel was nice. Um, I think the most similar thing that I have thrown before is a Leopard or a Leopard 3. Um, and as far as the grip feel, I felt like the grip feel on uh, this disc, particular disc, the Crave, um, felt nicer. I think the the Leopard might be a little bit um, like wider, not wider, a little deeper. thicker, d- yeah, deeper. That's the right word I'm looking for. Um, and I, I just really like the grip feel. And uh, I think one thing I talked about in the second cup is I was working on a different hand grip. And it's one that I felt like I can, with that different hand grip, I can really get a good feel for it. And I was beginning to get some solid control with it. One thing that I liked is it's, I mean, it's a straight shooter, just like the buzz. Um, I've been really having trouble with my, I throw the T-Bird 3 a lot. And I also have a Saint that I bag and uh, for backhand. And those are probably the most neutral discs that, and they're still slightly, slightly overstable. Uh, for I feel a, like the Saint is, would you say it's, just because it's faster, it's more stable? Yeah, I'd say just because it's faster. I, I definitely end up getting that to Heiser out every once in a while. But the beautiful thing about this particular disc is, I think, going back to talking about mid-ranges and uh, throwing mid-ranges and putters, uh, this is maybe slightly over a mid-range. I think it's considered a fairway driver. It has the same feel because if you're ripping on it too hard, you're going to turn it over. If it definitely favors having a clean release point, which I, I I'm trying to work on, and so I really liked, and uh, I was definitely getting it to throw straight, and I, I love that it just sticks on whatever line you're throwing. I think it was hole fifteen hanging. Is that hanging basket? Uh, yeah, I think, I think sixteen is hanging basket. Okay, sixteen. Um, I did this just I just to try it out to see if it hold the line through this crazy Anheuser line, and it held the line perfectly. And just, I threw it around the tree and it landed. <laughs> so sometimes it's in its par four location. It landed in the perfect spot for a shot to throw it up the gut for okay, nice. its par four location. So it's just a fun shot. And so I like it in the sense that whatever line you put it on, similar to the buzz, it seems like it's going to hold that line. And uh, I think I was throwing it on average around like 300 feet. I think when I was doing, I tried a little hyzer flip because I was texting Josiah with it. And I was like, hey, how do you get the most distance out of this thing? Because you can't rip on it. And uh, I'm not the best at hyzer flips, but I did get it to hyzer flip one time, and I got about 320 with it, which I felt pretty good about. Um, I think that's, for me, with a fairway driver, if I'm getting that and I can throw it straight, I think it's a reliable disc. If I'm wanting to hit just a straight shot through a tunnel of trees, it's definitely a a disc that I can see myself going to or thinking about. Yeah, I feel like... Um, I'll have to ask you which ones you liked the best because you threw four of them. But I think that it's a lot like a buzz from a baby hyzer. So I think a crave is a little less stable than a buzz when thrown with power. But I think if you throw it from a baby hyzer, I feel like you have a very similar flight. You're going to have maybe a tiny bit more fade with the with the crave. Um, and it's not going to have quite as much integrity on the early flight. But if you put it on that baby hyzer, I feel like you get a very similar flight just maybe 20 or 30 feet longer. For sure. One thing about the Crave, and this is true of all Axiom and MVP discs, is they have this overmold technology. The rim is broken up into really two pieces. 
And what they do is they have a higher density plastic on the outside. So there's more weight on the outside of the disc. And the idea is that because you have more weight on the outside of the rim, you have more momentum uh, because of the gyroscopic effect. I think that I've been throwing a little bit more Axiom MVP as we talked about on the first episode lately. And I do think there's something to it. I think that there is just the slightest, uh, you can feel the transition between the two different pieces, the outer mold and the inner mold. And I'm wondering, David, did that bother you at all? Did you notice it? I actually didn't notice it at all. I mean, obviously, visually, you can see the difference. Uh, But as far as grip feel and hand feel, um, no, it didn't make uh, any difference for me. My sense was that they fade harder but later so you actually end up with less total travel on the left but you have a little bit this little reliable fade and i think that's true about the crave you don't have very much fade at all early on and then you have this kind of like very reliable just tiny little fade at the end the flight numbers i do think that negative one one is pretty true you threw a beat up proton which is their clearish plastic uh beat up neutron or slightly beat up neutron the sarah hokum signature disc so we're doubling up on our Hokum. We had her pro tip and her signature disc. Um, so you beat up a, a, a fresh and a beat up Proton, which is kind of like their champion plastic for those Innova uh, fans. And then a fresh and a beat up Neutron, which is kind of like their star plastic. What do you think about the plastics and what do you think about the flights? Which one did you like the most? I think they all were comparable to each other. I think the one that I enjoyed throwing the most it was probably the Sarah Hokum, and you said there is the neutron, right? Yep. And the neutron plastic, and I think partially because when I did the uh, distance uh, doing the slight hyzer flip, I, that was with one of those discs that I got three twenty out of it. And I think in general, I I enjoy whether it's the ESP plastic, star plastic, neutron plastic. That's typically plastic that I en- I just enjoy the grip feel on it for some reason. Yeah, I felt like I had really good control and I could put it on the... the, I I enjoyed all of them, but in particular those ones. Whatever line I'm putting them on, uh, it seemed like I can hold it. That's something that I don't really have in my bag, a straight shooter that I can hit over 300 feet. I can't throw my buzz. I mean, maybe I can hit my buzz right around the 300-foot range on a good clean shot. I bet you could. I just don't know how much control or you know how much of a risk it is for you to try too hard. Yep, for sure. Um, And so this definitely would be... This is something in my bag that I'm definitely would be considered possibly missing because I don't have a shot um, that really necessarily fits within that line. The closest would either be the buzz or the saint that I have in my bag. Yeah. Can you compare this? Cause you have basically buzz T bird three, like a beat up T bird three and a saint. Where does this fall um, compared to those? You said it's not, it's not that similar to any of those, but yeah, I think it falls right in the middle of the buzz and the, the saint um i think i'm getting a little bit more distance um with the similar um similar fight pattern as the buzz being able to put on the line i can throw it i can throw a buzz dead straight i can throw this guy dead straight um with the saint i'm getting a little bit more finish typically on it and i might even get a slight skip with the saint i I, this just got me thinking like if i'm playing it through a tunnel of trees and i needed to hit a direct line this is one that you can throw it through a tunnel of trees with a clean release point and it's going to finish somewhere where that line uh, ends it's not going to have a massive fade at the end right and it's not going to skip super far away from the basket i think this is what this is a disc that james conrad uses right i i think he 
I think he has used it. I don't okay. know if it's something that is in his bag currently. There's a relay, which is a hair slower and a hair more flippy that I think he uses for his flippy shots. And then I think he uses a Volt, which is more stable and a little faster. I don't know that Conrad currently uh, bags a Crave, which is yeah, shame. It, it seems like a disc that he would throw. Uh, just with his control through trees, I mean, he can use a putter for anything, but uh, with his control through trees, it just seems like this is a disc that he can put on whatever line he wants and it's going to end up wherever he wants it without too much fade at the end. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. James, since you're listening, it's not if you're listening anymore, it's since you're listening, you should give the tr- Crave a second try. It's a beautiful disc. <laughs> I One thing I wanted to just talk about is the flights with the different plastics. And I've only thrown... Uh, proton and neutron so i haven't messed with plasma or any of the other plastics but i'd say that there's not as much variation as you would find with other brands there i have some like old patent pending um, no flight number craves proton that are a little bit more stable than neutron and i've got some of the you know, hokums that maybe depending on which one you have maybe a hair less stable but I think in general, you get a really straight flyer. And depending on your power, that might be a straight flyer from just a flat release or a little bit of hyzer. But you do get a reliable straight flyer. David, what do you think? Who is this disc good for? What kind of player could benefit from this disc? I mean, I think for sure a beginner, this is a great disc to pick up. If you're wanting to find that clean re- clean release point and going back to talking about Sarah Hokum's quote, uh, clean release point and being able to... Um, do different things with the disc. This is a great disc to start off with. Um, I think uh, uh, you can pr- definitely possibly see this in some pro bags, amateur bags. Um, I think definitely when I think about this disc, um, amateurs and beginners for sure, uh, I think this is hands down a, pl- a good place to start. And it might be a good place to finish because you fall in love with it. Yeah, I totally agree. And the one thing we were talking about last week, hey, throw more putters and mids. One issue with that, would be that I don't think putters and mids teach you enough about nose angle, particularly to throw nose down. I think that that's the one downside of throwing mostly putters and mids is you can actually get sometimes more distance by having nose up. And I think nose up is useful and helpful for certain discs and for for certain shots. But in terms of distance with throwing drivers, fairway control distance drivers, if you don't have that nose down, you're going to see a flight that rises the whole way and then kind of stalls and fades hard left. That's like the typical amateur throw. And it's honestly a pro shot as well. Like that stall hyzer is very useful. But if you're trying to get distance, if you're trying to get that straight shot with a fairway, it can be super frustrating. So I do think if you're going to add, hey, throw putters and mids, I'd say throw neutral to understable fairways so you can learn that nose angle a little bit more. And I think if you had a starter pack and it included a crave and a buzz and like a neutral putter. I think that you would be, if you're buying one for a friend, I think you'd be giving them discs that they could enjoy and learn from as a beginner and, you know, could still be staples in their bags when they eventually get better than you and, and go on tour. For sure. I also think this is a great disc for women to start off with. My wife tried throwing it a few times and she really liked the grip feel on it and just, she felt like she was getting some good snap on it. Yeah, I I think it's a great disc. And you're obviously, you know, if you're throwing 200, it's still going to feel pretty stable for you. But I think it's a great disc to teach control. And they go far. They go far for a six and a half or a seven speed. But I think it's a great disc to teach control. I think we're ready for your rating, David. So our rating system, 
It's one through five. David and I will sum our scores out of 10. One is this disc just isn't that great. Two is it's a fine disc, but there are definitely better options. Three is it's a good disc, but it doesn't stand out. Four is it's not going in my bag, but it's fantastic. And five is it's definitely going in my bag. So David, you got a rating for the Crave? For sure. I think I'm I think I'm gonna go with a four on this one. Um, it's not necessarily going in my bag. It might be something I should consider going in my bag. And I think it's a, I mean, I think it's a great disc. I think, uh, again, uh, you can do a lot of things with it. For me, it's hard to commit to putting something in my bag because it's like I'm building a whole new relationship. I'm inviting somebody else, something else into my you life. You and your metaphors. <laughs> yeah, love the disc. I feel like uh, it's a great one to, especially if you're doing field work, if you're playing a shorter course and uh, wanting to work on those backhanded lines, it's a great disc to work with. And it is a great disc to consider having in your bag, but I think at this time, I probably won't have it in my bag unless we're, if we, I think part of that is because we don't have a whole lot of courses in the Valley that have those tunnel shots. I think if I was playing more courses that I was having to hit those lines, going back on the first podcast we talked about, um, I did a trip down to Austin, Texas to play some rounds at Roy Guerrero and Met Center. And there you're having to throw <laughs> through trees on some pretty, uh, pretty tight lines. And I think there I probably would consider throwing it. But uh, yeah, here in the Valley, it's not necessarily something I need, maybe on one or two holes in the Valley. Um, and I could come up with a different shot for right now. I can't believe you, David. <laughs> you're like, I have this hole in my bag. This fits that hole perfectly. I'm not putting it in. <laughs> I have to give it a five. I love the Crave. I threw FDs for a while by Dismania, and they have similar flight numbers, but to me, I like how flat the Crave is. I like the feel of it better, and I feel like I can. they're hair less stable than an FD, so I can get a little bit more of a flip up, and with my natural like slight hyzer game, uh, they are great. I, I like throwing dead straight from a small slight hyzer. That's my play as often as possible, even though it's not necessary uh, where we play. That's just, I like going straight at the basket. It's just how I play. And so I think the Crave gives me that shot very reliably and it's very versatile. I can put it on a little Annie, get it to hold that, or I can put it on a bigger Annie. I can throw a hyzer with it and have it hold that hyzer. It has a little bit of flip. So I can do a flip up hyzer. I feel like there's, it's, it's super versatile and it's become kind of a core of my bag. I'll usually carry one or two craves. Um, and then MVP's got, or Axiom and MVP have a lineup of six and a half, seven speeds. And so I end up putting some of those in my bags for any, pretty much any round. So it's a five for me, a four for David. So that's nine out of 10. That's a solid score. And we are getting away from discs that we both bag um, f- for most of our reviews. So those scores will drop, but that doesn't mean it's not a fantastic disc that you should try. This week, we're going to be giving away not one, but two Craves that should pair nicely. A Sarah Hokum Signature Series Neutron Crave and a pre-flight number patent-pending Proton Crave. Yes, that is some serious alliteration. <laughs> you can enter by following us on Instagram at the grind.dg and looking for the post for this show. Anyway, David, that's the majority of our podcast, but I thought it'd be fun. I'd ask, what's more fun for you? We disc golf is supposed to be fun. So what's more fun for you? Banging a long circle two putt or just puring a tough drive? Oh man, I'd have to go with the putt. Um, I think whether it's recovering, uh, saving your par, nailing a long birdie, 
I think the excitement of that uh, for me definitely outweighs. I mean, I love hitting a tough drive, but at the end of the day, I think if there was one that would give me the most excitement, I talked about earlier in the podcast, lining up that jump putt in the wind. Um, I was so pumped about that and I could have a terrible round that day, but the fact that I hit that felt really good. Yeah. I, I, this is a hard one for me because I think I don't really hit that many, too many C2 putts. And I think that a lot of times when I do, I'm like, oh, that went in. Oops. Uh, not like, oh, I knew I was going to make it the whole time. I'm still working on that. But I love the feeling of just hitting a really tough drive, especially if it's through a narrow gap and you have the disc do exactly what you were hoping for the full flight. For me, it would be like a little flip up, a little turn and a baby fade to under the basket. I think that that, to me, over hitting a circle two putt feels more intentional and a little less lucky. And so for me, I'm going to have to go with puring a drive, but either one's super fun. That's awesome. That's all that we have for you in this week's episode. Big thank you to Antonio for being our very first Patreon patron. We really appreciate you, and it's super encouraging for us as we're building content to have you along for the ride if you'd like to become a patron you can visit patreon.com slash the grind DG and learn all about that. Thank you to Sarah Hocum for providing the pro tip. And thank you so much to Vanessa for sending the coffee. And thank you to birdie fuel. You can support Vanessa and birdie fuel by ordering her coffee at birdiefuelcoffee.com. Have a great week and don't forget whether it's disc golf or coffee to enjoy the grind.